Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm your host, Jackie from Houston, and I have my two friends here, Rahul and Alex. Guys, tough, tough week to follow up, but it's something we have to talk about, obviously, with Carabao Cup final coming up. Uh, before we get into that, Rahul, I'll hand it over to you to kick us off with the Roman Abramovich statement. Yes, so... I mean, before I get into this, we obviously uh, want to express our our support uh, for what our friends in the in the Ukraine are going through. Um, and if you haven't seen it on our Instagram story, we've put up uh, a link from the Kiev Blues uh, to donate and help them out uh, during this tough time. So definitely check it out, and everything helps. Uh, everything counts in this in this tough time. But. Uh, coming to the Roman Abramovich statement that was released on Saturday afternoon here in the U.S., uh, evening in, in, in London. Um, a, a little bit confusing uh, when this statement first came out. So I'll, I'll read some just some portions of it. He said, during my 20-year ownership of Chelsea FC, I've always viewed my role as a custodian of the club, uh, ensuring that you know we're as successful as we can be. Uh, I've always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. I remain committed to these values. Uh, and so that is why I am today giving trustees of Chelsea's charitable foundation, the stewardship and care of Chelsea FC. Uh, and that's kind of what this, the, the whole statement meant and said. Uh, and there's a lot of chatter, a lot of rumors, a lot of journalists uh, kind of expressing what they'd heard. Uh, but ultimately it comes down to him taking a back seat for now. He's still the owner. He's not going anywhere. We've, they, we've been told the club isn't for sale. Uh, the charity or the, or the trustees uh, make up some of the people currently at the club in terms of Bruce Buck, Emma Hayes, uh, and some others that are involved maybe more on the business side of it, a couple of accountants, lawyers. Um, and so wanted to get your thoughts on it Jackie and Alex and and obviously we've heard a lot more since then uh but your initial reactions to to the statement Jackie yeah look there's a lot going on in the world right now Raul as you alluded to and obviously our owner is from a part of the world that's involved in everything that's going on around there I think from his perspective, some of the news that we're hearing and of course it's all early days and you know it's nothing is clear as we go through it but it almost feels like a move to protect Chelsea, his beloved Chelsea, because with him having ties back to Russia, if the UK or other parts of the EU get involved and they see Chelsea as more than a football club, obviously it's business, and freezes assets and uh, sever ties with those things, Chelsea then becomes orphaned, for lack of a better word. And so I think it's a very smart business move to not only protect Chelsea, but also keep his stake in Chelsea, which... I truly do believe, regardless of everything going on around, he truly loves Chelsea. And for him to lose Chelsea Football Club would be really, really painful for him. And I think it's, it's just a good move overall. Protect his club, protect himself. And I think maybe you can give us a little more insight, but some of the people that are running this charitable organization have been his trusted people for many years and have been at, by his side for many years. And so it's something where he feels a level of confidence the club will be run his way or at least in normal operating factors that not too much should change for the day-to-day -day business for the men's, the women's and for the youth setup. Yeah. And it's, I mean, beyond the trustees and, and uh, the, the names that have been mentioned, there's also more clarity given to the fact that Marina and Petr Cech are going to be involved with the footballing decisions, the future of Tuchel, not that he's going anywhere, transfer decisions, while Abramovich deals with something uh, allegedly, like you said, it's all rumors, it's all things that we hear in the media, allegedly is involved uh, with the Russian side of it. He's not, we, we've not been told and we don't know for sure that he is because we've heard something completely different today where he's leading a charge to resolve the, the, the uh, issue going on. So um, while he takes care of all of that, we have people that he trusts, like you mentioned, we have Petr Cech and Marina, who've done a great job uh, on the footballing side. Obviously, it's something, and Tuchel's touch on it too, it's something that is a distraction. It's something that comes up over and over again. Every time you bring up Chelsea, you bring up their Russian owner. And of course, that's going to be the case because he is Russian and Russia is heavily involved with what's going on. 
but Alex, your thoughts on it? I'm sure you've had some time to digest it, think about it. Um, so wanted to wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't I, as you mentioned. I think it's it's not wonderful that we have to address this kind of thing. It's just kind of another another sort of complication in in the Chelsea the Chelsea story, but. It is what it is. You you have to you have to hit these issues head on, um, because certainly as we've seen, and, and as we know, uh, we've seen how the media often treats uh, Chelsea uh, around a variety of issues. And I think here Roman is is knows that he needs to control sort of the the kinds of uh, actions that can be taken against the club. Um, and as Jackie mentioned, I think it is it is just sort of a smart move to step back and get some known caretakers who care about the club, who are well-versed in the operations, let them sort of take the front seat for a little bit. And I, 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 think, I think it's a smart move. I think it makes sense. I think it's predictable. Um, I honestly don't think this is going to change too much in the long run. As we've mentioned, he's still retaining ownership. I think this is probably just going to be the temporary um, setup of how things are until the dust settles a little bit. Um, because yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough situation. It's a complicated situation. And as you were mentioning Rahul too, there's, there's now reports that he's trying to uh, orchestrate a peaceful resolution to the conflict. Um, so it's difficult to know what to believe. Uh, the media reports all sorts of different things. And we also know the media loves to just sell headlines and stories uh, we've been there many, many, many times as Chelsea fans with them stirring up controversy for clicks and for reads and for likes and everything. So I think it's it's smart to to for Roman to sort of take a little step back. And I think the good news for us is I think Chelsea fans don't have anything to worry about because the club we love is still being operated by knowledgeable, trusted people. Um, and we are still going to be putting in, hopefully, performances on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to add one more thing to that. I think the more you read into this, I think this is more administrative in nature. The day-to-day -day running has really been left up to the names that are on this list. And of course, there's some others that are coaches like Emma Hayes and whatnot. But the day-to-day -day running really has been left up. And Abramovich himself has not been living in England for a long time. So again, I think it really is administrative in nature. And, and to echo what Alex says, nothing really should change for Chelsea. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, the part of the move, like you said, Jackie, is to protect the club, obviously protect himself, which is ultimately uh, the goal here is to protect himself and, and distance himself. I mean, a lot of people say, well, why didn't he come out and speak up against you know, what is going on? Why wasn't that addressed? Uh, that's something that you, me, and Alex can not answer because we're not a problem rich. We we don't know uh, what's going on. But what he did address was some of the calls for his assets to be frozen. He shouldn't be the owner of Chelsea Football Club in the UK. Uh, he is not on the sanction list from the UK with a lot of Russian uh, businessmen and, and billionaires are on there. He's not on there yet. And, and that brings me to the point that Alex brought was Today we heard he is one or maybe the only one that has responded to Ukraine's calls uh, and not to get too much into the politics of it, because ultimately we are a, a football, a soccer podcast, but he is the one of the only ones who have responded for a resolution uh, talk. And so he's leading that uh, limited or not limited, but he is one of the names that has come up. And, and that shows you that he has denied connections to the Russian president in the past. And, and this shows you that he is interested in, in not having a war and not having some of the things that are being said about him. So again, this is going to take a few more days, weeks ahead that we'll, that we'll watch closely, but coming back to our football club and, and the sport in general, uh, there's a bigger question here about, and I'm not asking you guys to answer it. It's more of an open-ended question. It's a bigger question about, uh, money in the sport, where it comes from, and, and do the Premier League uh, put in better ways to uh, screen these owners that come in? We saw what happened with Newcastle. We know the history about their owners. Uh, Abramovich's money obviously comes from Russia predominantly. So 
these things need to be addressed. We're not going to address them here, but we need to talk about them. We need to raise awareness and we will put them up on, on our social media and, and hopefully get some engagement, get thoughts of our listeners and, and our followers. And uh, we're here to be educated as well. We don't know it all and people out there may know more. So uh, we'll continue this dialogue for a few more days, but let's bring it back to the sport and the game from the weekend. So Carabao Cup final against Liverpool, you would never think that this was a small or, or as people call it a Mickey Mouse trophy because what a final we watched uh, yesterday 120 minutes 21 22 penalties later we had a winner uh, so Alex I'll let you lo- run through the starting a lineup and then we can get into the discussion here so we lined up with Mendy and goal which I think we all sort of agreed on the prior episode was was likely to happen um He's definitely our, our undisputed number one and showed it in, during the match. Uh, we had Aspilicueta, Alonso uh, at the wingback roles, and then Shalaba, Tiago Silva, and Rudiger uh, holding down the center back spots. Conte and Kovacic in midfield, um, and then Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic on the winger-esque roles with Kai Havertz up top. Um, playing in his usual sort of false nine fashion. So as expected, a strong lineup. Um, I know one of, one of the doubts we'd been discussing was whether Reese James would make an appearance, and he did uh, later in the match. He was not a starter. Um, but overall, I mean, that's, that's a team worthy of going out and competing with the very best, and, and we certainly saw quite the competition. We, we most definitely did. And, and Jackie, were you – I mean, we had predicted – Mendy would start, uh, but were you surprised that he actually did? Did you think that was a little bit unfair on Kepa or um, it was a final and we had to put out our best team? You know, it can be a little bit unfair on Kepa. I think that's something as he has played a lot in this tournament and he's performed very well in this tournament. Definitely, it's a little bit harsh. However, I think Alex said this in the last episode, Tuchel made a very clear statement in the Club World Club Cup final that even though Kepa played the semifinal and did well, when it was time to call on your number one and your number one's available and fit, it's going to be Mendy. And so no real surprise. Do I feel like Kepa is a little bit hard done by? Sure. But that's the nature of being at a huge football club with two super goalkeepers. And, and I'm sure he had a discussion with Kepa and Mendy. So, and we'll get to the, the, the later parts of this game where Kepa does have an involvement. Uh, but let's get into the game. The game starts off frantic pace, as you'd expect. Uh, Liverpool with their high line. Chelsea knew how to exploit it. Uh, the movement from the front three was pretty good. Kante and Kovacic adding the energy in, in our defense. Chalobah making his first appearance from the first from the last time he played Liverpool at the beginning of January, which was good to see. Uh, and so I'll come to you, Alex. We had an early chance from Christian Pulisic. Uh, he did well to to even get into that position to be able to put, pull off the shot. Unfortunately, the shot is directly at the keeper and he saves it. Uh, could he have done better? Uh, I think, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before to, to some people. I think everyone looks at every chance, especially when you lose a game and, and says, oh, he should have put that in. Uh, it was certainly, certainly a great opportunity, um, but I think frankly he did well to get it on target the ball came into him really quickly um and and that's just for me your your standard forwards chance and mind you he's not a striker he's usually more of a creative winger but we know he can finish Um, and that was sort of a standard chance where i think eight times out of ten that goes in the back of the net um but even for the very best finishers when the ball comes into you that quickly and you've you've already made your diagonal run to get into space um, to put it on target, all you can really ask uh, usually is to just put the ball on the net because there's a high chance the keeper's not getting there if you can just make sure to keep it on frame. So many players get in that position and we see them whiff it, we see them put it over the bar, um, we see them put it wide. But I think he did. I think he did well to keep it down. He kept it on target. I think it was unlucky. Um, but that's the kind of chance you see frequently. I, w- I won't say every game, but I think you see that often and. You know, for me, it's it's as simple as that. I think eight times out of ten, that finds its way in the back of the net if you keep it on target. But a good a good little reaction save from Kelleher. Um, the ball obviously was was not 
too difficult to deal with because it was right um, in his vicinity. But for me, it was just more evident of a very bright start, uh, good movement, and good to get a shot on target because, as we saw later, not all of our shots were on target. <laughs> and, and we will get to that in, in just a second. But, uh, Jackie, I think Alex has covered the, the buildup and the chance very well. So I'll, I'll ask you a different question with Pulisic. For a while earlier this season, we spoke about he's never fit. He's, you know, he's out of the squad. He's been injured. Um, are we ever going to see the, the continuous run that he had under Lampard? Uh, but we are seeing that. So your thoughts on his fitness and, and overall his game uh, in this final? Pleased. I'm very pleased to see him fit back in a, a good run of games here. I think that's something important for not only Chelsea, because I highly rate Christian Pulisic, but also for himself. I think that's something that's going to help him build confidence and make sure that he can secure that left-wing position. Similar to some of the other players we've talked about, of course, we've given a lot of plays to Hakim Ziyech in recent times, saying he had secured that right-wing position. So if he can nail this down and get into some, some good run of form here, I think it's going to be a game-changer for Chelsea. I know the Carabao Cup ended in, in a situation that will continue in, in a few minutes here, but there's a lot to play for in the remainder of the season. Not only are we trying to solidify that third position, but there are other cups, the FA Cup, obviously the Champions League is still on the line. So if he can continue to perform like he's done, there's a lot more to look forward to. And, and I'll add one more thing to what Alex said, and maybe I'm being a little bit overcritical of Christian Pulisic here, but uh, Alex says eight out of nine, eight out of 10 times, you know, he's going to get that one. I think the natural progression for Christian Pulisic, other than being creative and somebody who drives at players is to add a little more lethalness to his finishing. And so while that was a tough chance, and I agree with that, he can take it a little bit further because we expect more of him and he can get to that nine out of 10, nine and a half out of 10 finishes. And I'd love to see him, and I, I hate doing this because it's tough comparing him to Aiden Hazard, but I'd like to see him get on more goals just like Aiden Hazard used to do from out wide. Of course, they're different players, but that just is the next progression for a young man that is doing well so far. And we have seen his ability to finish and, and be lethal in, in games. So uh, this one maybe comes a little bit too early and, and is a lesson uh, because of the way the game goes on from here. Uh, Alex, before we move on from Pulisic, do you think Tuchel's done well to manage his minutes and manage his game time, which has led to a continuous run of, of games and, and keeping him fit? I mean, I think, I think certainly his fitness is not something that, can be understated because that's been a big issue for him. He's had a lot of runs of good form cut short by issues with fitness and little injuries, um, sometimes out of his control, like uh, the harsh tackle uh, on international duty that ended up uh, benching him for a while. He can't really do much about uh, getting crunched in a tackle, but in terms of his actual sort of muscular injuries and fitness levels and, and managing his workload, I think definitely they've done a good job. I still think in terms of building his form, he could use a little more faith and just consistent deployment on the left because we've just seen him time and time again perform from the left wing. And even this, even this game, he seemed to initially, and, and for a large part of the game, basically be put on the right um, with mount on the left, which I found a little bit odd. Um, for me, it's, it's quite simple. Play him at the left wing, keep playing him at the left wing and you will see the results. If you don't see the results after a stretch of games, you know, then you're free to tinker with it. But I think it is a little, it is still a little weird in my opinion that he can drop a great game at left wing. And then almost immediately, I, I mean, I, I have, I almost never seen him then start the next game at left wing and, and just continue to be played in that position where we know he's at his best. Um, but I, I am glad he seems to be bright. He seems to be playing well. He seems to be in pretty good form. Um, so we'll take that as it comes and, and appreciate the minutes because you need minutes to build form and consistency. I, I agree. And and you bring up Mason Mount, who ends up playing more on the left. Uh, so let's talk about Mason Mount. He comes into this game off of an injury in the World Club Cup final. Uh, hasn't played since then, but gets the start here. He's done well to to get fit within the in the last two weeks. Um, Jackie, what did you make of Mason Mount's game overall? I think he played about 70 minutes or so, uh, had some big, big chances, which again, uh, we've just spoken about with Pulisic 
could he have done better? So just overall thoughts on the game and, and those chances. Overall thoughts for Mason Mount. I think we've discussed it many times. He's one of those guys when fit, Thomas Tuchel is going to call upon him and rely upon him. I think what he brings is the work rate. What he brings is that hustle that sometimes you don't always see from forward players. They don't always want to get back. But similar to Christian Pulisic, I think he had a very good game overall, as did Christian Pulisic. But to take it from that you know, natural progression of I'm a, a midfielder and adding those goals similar to Lampard. He's compared to Lampard a lot, you know, just because Lampard was one who brought him through, he'd taken him to Derby. But now adding that goal finishing or that lethal eye, as we've been saying about Christian Pulisic, I think that's what he needs to do is bring that to his game. And, and again, guys, we've seen him do this. He got a hat-trick earlier on this season. He came up with a wonderful goal against Liverpool last year where he can cut in and score sometimes you wonder, is it just not our day? And, and I mean that for both of these guys who we're evaluating, uh, not for a lack of trying, both of them worked their socks off for the, the 70 or 80 minutes on there. I mean, I, mean, I remember texting Ural saying, even though these two guys are going off, I can proudly say that they put in a shift and they really made an effort. The only thing missing on the day was putting the ball in the back of the net. Which, which in a final is, is pretty key. Um, yeah. Alex, we talk about, you know, Every time Chelsea don't win a game, there's there's a scapegoat, right? And and usually it's Pulisic, usually it's Timo Werner, Lukaku, Kai Havertz. Uh, quite often, Mason Mount escapes the 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 criticism for from from the fans. In this case, I've seen a lot of people obviously blame Kepa, but blame has also fallen on Mason Mount. So would you? defend that would you say if Mason Mount puts away two of those chances we've spoken about Pulisic we'll talk about two more players here in a second Uh, but Mason Mount's chances were a little more clear cut in terms of the runs he makes gets into the positions and doesn't finish off Uh, is he the one that loses us this final for for lack of a better question I think it's it's difficult to say he lost us the final I agree with you. I think his chances were more clear cut, especially um, the one where Polisic floated the ball over the top uh, with a great pass to him and he brings it down and has so much time. The goal is at his mercy. He's one-on-one in the center of the goal and he just puts it agonizingly off the inside of the post. I 100% think his chances were the best we had. Um, and I, I will say, I that was one of the things that made me rate Polisic a little more highly than Mount in this match is the fact that despite missing a decent chance right at the beginning, he then went and created more, um, really integral to the creation of both of Mason Mount's uh, real golden chances later on. Um, but I think it's difficult to say any one player lost you the final because the funny thing is, I mean, we watched the ball roll across the goal line. Every player misses. Uh, Salah missed a massive chance. Uh, Sadio Mane missed a massive chance. Those two are talked about as the two best wingers in the Premier League often. Um, They're talked about as the talismans of Liverpool's side. And yet both of them, who are regarded as absolutely world-class best wingers in the Prem, both of them missed massive chances of their own. So in a weird way, if that Mason Mount shot happens to to squeeze one inch to the left and rolls across the goal line then you're talking about him as the hero of the final who's won us a trophy and Chelsea have won the Carabao Cup over Liverpool in 90 minutes so it's it's so difficult and that's kind of that's almost just how the game goes everyone on social media wants to vent their frustration everyone wants to find a scapegoat but I don't know it's it's difficult for me to fully blame any player. And, and then you'll see people saying Mount doesn't deserve to put on this kid again. He needs to be sold immediately. But if, if he manages, and I mean, I cannot stress enough how, how fine the margins are. If he manages to wrap half an inch of his toe around that ball, which I think, again, 90% of the time, he probably gets slightly better contact. I think 90, at least 90% of the time, Mason Mount finishes that chance he missed then you're talking about him as the hero instead of as the villain. So I don't put too much stock in it. I think he does deserve to take a little bit of heat for those, those missed chances, but that's what happens to every player who misses a chance. That's the game. Pundits will analyze, fans will analyze. Overall, I don't think we need to read too, too deeply into it. I agree with you, and I agree with both of you, actually. I think uh, 
Mason Mount can be that guy, and and we've seen it in the past with his finishing. And uh, in this game, it doesn't come off, but he'll learn from it. Pulisic will learn from it, and Kai Havertz will learn from it. Who's my next topic here? Uh, we've touched on him a lot. We've spoken about the fire under his belly in the last few games. Jackie, what more do we add for a guy that played the full 120 minutes, scored his penalty, almost got into a fight with with two Liverpool players, uh, and could have played for another 120? Look, I think, honestly, we've been very critical of Kai Havertz, especially early on last season and, and bits of this season as well. But I can hang my hat on this and say he really is coming into his own now. I think this is what Chelsea spent that 70 million for is Kai Havertz is 21, similar to a couple of the other guys you mentioned, by the way, I'm going to keep showing a theme here, but the age of these guys and what they're doing is truly impressive. And Kai Havertz for one, I think my biggest complaint last year was he was lazy. And by that he would not run back track back to get the ball. Or if somebody would bring a through ball in, he was not necessarily going to chase it down or close. All that seems to have gone away. And, and Rahul, I know you had talked at length about him getting COVID a couple of times, maybe new country, new out of position, but lately Tuchel's played him on the left. He's played him on the right. He's played him as a center forward. He's played him behind Lukaku. And long story short, his performance has always been the same. He's putting in the hundred percent. It almost feels like he's at home now, which is something we discussed that maybe he was feeling homesick. He wasn't happy. And similar to the other two guys in Pulisic and Mount, just adding that clinical final ball, getting that assist, which, which he's done, by the way, so I'm not trying to go too deep into this, but just getting a little more clinical. And it, the, most of that can be said for the rest of the team. And I'll bring it back to my original point. Maybe we're just unlucky on the day, but praise to him. King Kai is coming around, and I can see him being here for a long time and, and really building a relationship with the two other boys. Yeah, and you could see when he puts that ball in from Mason Mount, the, he wasn't just there to be that central figure. He was there to float. He was there to pull defenders away and open up space for likes of Pulisic, Mount, Conte to a certain extent. Alex, any more, any more to add on Kai Havertz and, and his, not just this game, but the last few weeks? No, I think his quality is clear. I think his development has been definitely improved and impressive lately. And I think he just goes to show you, it's tough to judge. Some signings gel perfectly. Some big money signings gel perfectly. Many don't. And he's just, uh, I think, a good, a good example of why you don't want to judge players too early because I think with, his, with the way he's currently developing and the way he's sort of stepping up and showing more passion, showing more desire, showing more goal output at crucial times, I think, I think he's developing very, very nicely. And I think he's going to be a key player for years to come if he keeps on this track. I, I totally agree with you both. And, and for even that front three, if they stick around together for the next few seasons... I think they could develop something, something special. Uh, let's go from the front to the back. And I bring you to the back to Mendy because in that first half, I believe, was when Mane takes that shot. He saves it. Oh, it wasn't Mane. I think it was maybe Salah or someone else. Takes the shot. Mendy saves it. It falls to Mane. And every Chelsea fan, I can guarantee you, was holding their breath because they knew what was coming next, which was most likely a goal. And Mendy flies over from one side to the other, gets his hand on it, saves it, and keeps the game a level. Jackie, what more can we say about a man who most people didn't even know about 18 months ago? Unbelievable. Superhuman. I mean, I don't know what the best way to describe him is. You can be critical and say Mane could have done better. He could have chipped the ball. But in fairness, we've said the same about Christian Pulisic. The position came fast. The ball came fast. Goalkeeper reacted. Mane was doing what he needed to do super fast. And in, in this instance, while the Liverpool goalkeeper was just there and it hit him and it went away, Mendy was alert, watching the entire game, had that sense to say, I need to get my body up as soon as possible. All that's done right. But then to have that hand be so rock solid. I mean, it wasn't like Mane tapped it and was like, yeah, you can stop it. He smashed it with all his might and... Mandy's hand did not move. It just deflected the ball off. And you're sitting there, you know, choking up like that's a goal. We're one down, but it wasn't meant to be. And look, superhuman might be the best word I can come up with for him. 
superhuman uh, for Edwal Mendy. Uh, Alex, do you? I mean that that in that instance alone, it justified the decision to start him, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's undoubtedly Chelsea's number one, and he's frankly, I think, biased. The biased Chelsea take would be that he's the best goalkeeper in the world. His awards certainly speak for themselves, and I think even an unbiased take has to put him in the top five. And people might be reluctant to do that. I'd say top three, personally. I mean, some people might be reluctant because, as we've mentioned, he, he was not a household name. He was, he was hardly recognized by many mainstream football fans just, you know, a, a little over a year ago. And yet, here we are with him coming in and putting in some fantastic performances. But it's not just that. It's been an entire year of being really rock solid Um I think it's it's just so clear what a quality keeper he is, um, and I think it's it it almost in a weird way gives Kepa, it almost shines brightly on him because it shows that you have to have a fantastic goalkeeper right now, um, in form and stopping those shots. Like that's the one who benched Kepa. I would much rather have have that kind of a performance, see that, and say you know what, okay, I, I got benched for a world class goalkeeper. Um, rather than just have someone come in because he's the number one on paper. I think that that showed that the skill is there. Um, Mendy's proving why he's, why he's so highly valued by Chelsea at this point. And I think that it was just a fantastic game from him. Yeah, Alex, that's a great point, honestly, Rahul. Sorry to jump in really quickly. But I think that makes that second position for Kepa an easier pill to swallow because, like Alex said, it's a really good point. If you're sitting on the bench and, you know, Salah scores or Mane scores and it's 2-0 down in that first half, you're like, oh, I could have been in this game doing something. But then you sit down and you watch this and you, you have nothing else to do but just probably pull off your goalkeeper gloves and just clap because it was an unbelievable performance. It definitely was. And it wasn't just that save. There was a few more uh, throughout the game. There was one that I can remember from uh, a Van Dijk header. I think it was an extra time where Mendy pulls it off. So he overall had a great game. And hold on to that thought, because when we come uh, forward a little bit, uh, I'll bring that up again. Let's talk about, not Chelsea, but let's talk about refereeing and some of the decisions that didn't go our way. So let's start with uh, a high boot. You could call it a stamp from, I think it was Nabi Keita on Chaloba. Wasn't given as a foul, wasn't even given as a yellow card to to Keita. But that, when replays show, and, and then you look at, what Chalaba had to go through after the game with stitches that, that had to be some kind of review or some kind of go look at it on the monitor and, and potentially a red card, right, Jackie? It's tough to say. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is I don't think there was any malicious intent from Keita. I really don't think so. I think it was a coming together. However, all that aside, I do agree with you. That's the reason they have replays. That's the reason there are four referees on the pitch. That's the reason VAR gets in your ear and says his boot was super duper high. It's not even going for the ball. It was far enough from the ball that it was going towards Chaloba's inner thigh, groin. It could have done some serious damage. And as we find out later on, he's gone through stitches for some of that damage. So at the very least, a yellow card, surprising that it wasn't reviewed to even get a yellow card, but definitely for me up there as a contender for red now I am biased and so sure you can say that's the reason but when you put your boot up like that you're always going to risk a red card and so definitely a big candidate for red card and and you said we're biased I mean we're three of us are Chelsea fans we are on the losing side here if we had won this game I don't think this comes up as one of the topics but uh, Alex bringing you in on another topic and, and I'll fast forward here a little bit Lukaku has come on Timo Werner has come on for Pulo second mount uh, and a ball is played from Chaloba into Lukaku Lukaku makes a brilliant run cuts in scores in extra time everyone's running around in, in the bar I'm watching I'm sure you guys were doing the same wherever you were watching and then it gets called back VR actually looks at this one the lines come out Allegedly, this is offside. Was it offside from what we've seen again from the pictures, from everything that social media puts out? He looked like he was onside, right? Yeah, that was a really harsh call. And in a weird way, just having seen how, how on the line he was, I actually 
barely celebrated that goal because for whatever reason, I just had this bad feeling. And I, I thought to myself, somehow this feels like it's coming back. And as soon as they went to the review, I've just seen, we've seen this play out so many times with a striker right on the line. And then all of social media comes out with their rulers and draws <laughs> the line. And it's determined that he was offside by one millimeter of his arm hair. And then you say, well, you can't even score with your arm. Why are you offside with it? It just, it's just not, I don't know. It definitely kills the vibe of the game a little bit. It's, it's a tough one. And then, and, and, I mean, to a certain point, I would say that was a harsh call. I feel like it, it really did look like he was on and I rarely see, normally I see an offside call and I say, okay, well, it was a matter of inches, but I can see how with the lines drawn, he was just slightly off. If that's harsh, that's another story. But this one really did look like he might've been on, but at a certain point, I think it's just tough because so far, we haven't seen VAR eliminate controversy to the point that I think we all hoped it would. Um, I mean, before this, we used to just have people pulling it up and, and drawing the lines themselves. And then here you have a, and saying, this is dumb. This offside wasn't called. This was called wrongfully. Now with video assistant referee, the machine draws the lines, but then we criticize the lines that the machine draws. <laughs> so I think it is kind of a, I think it's kind of a case of people will never be happy because decisions will always be marginal. Um, but I don't know the, the, I mean, that's where you maybe question VAR and you say, do they need to give a little more of an advantage to the attacker? Does there need to be a slight rule change there? Because it certainly is tough I mean, I guess, I guess to sum it up, I would say it's, it's tough because offside is really meant to basically avoid attackers camping and just, just sitting down the pitch and getting the ball booted to them. It's, it's meant to create like a fair flow of play where you can hold a line and, and have good offensive movement in behind. I think nobody watching that would say Lukaku was abusing the offside rule or anything. He seemed to time his run really well. And maybe that's where you go into a rule change, but I find it difficult to complain too much because you know what? The computer's making the decision. It's going to make the decision regardless of, of what, what team is, is on the receiving end. And every team has been very harshly done by these calls at some point. Yeah. And, and it hurts us a little more because again, it's, it's a cup final. It's potentially a game winning goal uh, from Lukaku. Who's gone through a lot in the last six, seven weeks, eight weeks. Uh, it's almost like, we wanted this kind of end to the game from, from Lukaku. And so uh, it doesn't go that way. Jackie, Lukaku comes on, and I'm skipping ahead of here a little bit because we do have to talk about Reese James and, and, and him coming on. But Lukaku comes on. This is the kind of movement we were asking for the last few weeks. He makes the run. He cuts in. It's, it's, it's a trademark Lukaku kind of run, finish, is this something more we need to see from him going forward? Obviously, this could have been a moment that could have brought a change in, in his fortunes. It doesn't happen. But is this something more that we need to see and, and do more often where we release him so that it's not at the last minute, but maybe a few seconds before and he's not on offside? Yeah, look, Tuchel's changed his formation quite a bit to accommodate Lukaku. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that in this particular game, Chaloba found him and so we need to do it more often. Tuchel's tried to back four. He's put two holding midfielders. He's played three attacking midfielders. He's played wingers. He's done what he needs to to support Lukaku. In this game, that run and that trademark finish came off. Now it gets called offside. I get it. But I think really what, I, and what I'm seeing, that run happened once. In the 70th minute or so, he had enough time, that extra time. He's a man showing me he's lacking confidence. And look, there are many reasons for that. You've come for $100 million and, and while he is a confident man, he says he's an elite player and whatnot, $100 million is not a small number, and that's weighing on your head because you're not getting the goals week in, week out. That's fine. That's okay. But that starts to put pressure on yourself. The, the interview came out, put more pressure on him. He was then benched, came back in, didn't get the goals like he was expecting. And so you're kind of down in the dumps. And so, yes, this was called offside, but it, it meant much more for me personally because like you guys have alluded to, this goal in a final, him lifting the cup, similar to what we said about Mount Pulisic, Kai Havertz, 
you being the man to win a trophy for your boyhood club, that changes your fortunes instantly. Now, does that mean he goes on in the end of the season and scores 30 goals? No. But does that mean he has that confidence to do those runs because it worked in the final and he won a trophy? Absolutely. I think that's something that could have been a huge difference. And it, it, it almost would have erased the memories yeah. of the last two, three months and, and the interview and everything that's followed because it's a, it's a fresh start. It's, it's a start where you say, I just scored a cup winning goal. Again, we're talking about something that didn't happen and it, it now goes into the next game and the game after where he's got an opportunity. But uh, let's come back to Reese James. Reese James comes on. Unfortunately, Aspilicueta goes off. Alex Reese James looks like he wasn't even out for the two months. He he's he fit pretty naturally back into the side. Yeah, we all know his quality, and we, we all knew how big of a miss it was um, when he got injured. Shortly followed by Ben Chilwell, I think we've realized how much weaker we are when we don't have those world class wingbacks to call upon. But he came on and didn't really miss a beat. I mean, he was right into the action. He was defending well. He was pushing up the field. Reese James is is Reese James. We know what he brings. We know his quality, and I think that's we're all happy to see him back. So there's a silver lining there, I suppose. He's, in my opinion, my biased opinion, still still England's best right back in terms of his balance of skills and his all around skill set. Um, I, I will say Trent did seem to have a pretty good game overall, um, especially on the attacking side of things. He put in some very good delivery, but I just think Reese James is, is something special with how he can combine uh, offense, defense, and, and just really just providing an extra dimension of danger to any side, especially this Thomas Tuchel side in formation. So good to see him back. And he really, he didn't miss a beat when he was subbed in. He didn't. In fact, Jackie convinced me to put a bet on him to score. So Jackie, you owe me 10 bucks. But uh, <laughs> let's let's move on to another sub. And this came right at the end of the game. I think everyone expected it as we were heading towards the penalty shootout. Everyone knew the camera itself turned to Kepa at, at around the 28th minute in the extra time mark. He comes on. Jackie, at this point in the 28th minute, 29th minute, when he's coming on, Forget for a second what happened at the end. What were your thoughts? Honestly, indifferent. I really didn't have a problem with it. I think it's not the first time we've seen it this season. Right. There's a lot been made about Kepa being a penalty-saving specialist. We'll talk about what happens towards the end. However, it didn't really offend me, guys. And I think we started the whole conversation at the beginning of, is Kepa hard done by? Is it, you know, Mendy's world number one? Yes, yes, yes. All that's fine. But it didn't bother me so much. I think it's at a point where Tuchel trusts Kepa as a shot stopper from penalties. Kepa has done brilliantly in every game he's played so far this season. So I have no reason not to trust him. And so for me, I had, I kind of expected it to be completely frank with you guys. Yeah, I mean, like I said, everyone knew as we were going towards the end of the game, we had one sub left. It was it was destiny for for him to come on, Alex. Again, same question for you. Forgetting what happened after that substitution, what were your thoughts? Were you excited? You were, was that the the kind of the shot in the arm you needed to say, this is the moment we're going to win the game in penalties? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's difficult to, it's always anyone's game on penalties, but. Kepa statistically has the most penalty shootout saves in Chelsea history, right? History of the whole club. Um, and we've, we've just seen as, as Jackie mentioned, he's been, he's been nothing but class since uh, Tuchel came in. I think I, I, I wasn't surprised by it. I think certainly you could there, you almost reverse the question and say, after such a world-class performance during the game was Mendy hard done by being subbed out but at a certain point, that's just sort of what happens. I think it's almost throwing, I won't say throwing a bone to Kepa because he's actually very good statistically at stopping penalties. He's, I, I, I don't know how many shootouts, but he has gotten us through a number. I can think of yeah. a couple in the League Cup. Um, won us, well, got, got us to the Europa League final um, right. thanks to shootout heroics. And then even just this season, won us the Super Cup um, with shootout heroics. It is, it is known. It's, it's not even throwing a bone to Kepa at this point. It's known that statistically he's our best penalty stopper and 
one of the best in the world, frankly, from the penalty spot. Um, it's just a, a skill he seems to have. So I did not have a problem with it. I think, I think not too many Chelsea fans had a problem with it. And that's where I, I would say, judging based on what did happen later, I think it's easy to go looking back and, and hindsight is twenty twenty, and say, oh, of course we should have kept Mendy out there. But at the time that sub's being made, you're putting on a keeper who's got you through, I'm off the top of my head, four, five, maybe penalty shootouts with great performances. I think that's a smart change, honestly. Yeah, and it, if it comes off, like you said, Alex, and, and let's get into it. So the game ends nil-nil. We go into a shootout. Uh, Kepa is the guy we've brought on to obviously save some penalties while the others do the job and score some. Uh, so it starts off and, and he gets, I believe Liverpool did go first. So he goes first against, uh, and, and forgive me, I forget who it was for Liverpool, but they score, then it comes to us and, and it goes back and forth here. Now we, every penalty that is getting scored, pressure comes back on the Chelsea score to score. But I never thought I'd see N'Golo Conte scoring a penalty. I saw that. I never thought I'd see Thiago Silva stepping up and scoring a penalty as the 10th person. Uh, and eventually we look at Kepa and we're saying, well, we, we brought you on here to save one, just save one and give us that opportunity to, to win this. Jackie, were you surprised he did not even save one? I'll get to his penalty at the end, but just talking about the saving part of it, uh, he got close on a few. He, he gave Van Dyke the right corner. Van Dyke goes to the left. Kepa dives to the left. He still misses. Were you surprised that after everything that we had said, just a couple of seconds ago, he still didn't get to save even one. I wouldn't choose the word surprise. I think I'll choose the words frustrated because it wasn't necessarily Kepa's fault. And I, and I know a lot of people have made a lot of noise about this, but guys, 22 players stepped up. 21 of them scored. So it's not like, you know, the other goalkeeper had a, a blind and was having an amazing day or somebody missed and somebody else didn't miss every single person who stepped up found a way to whether to squeeze that penalty past the goalkeepers or smash it as hard as they could bury it emphatically. I mean, it's more frustration because we know he can stop penalties, but when you had a match as amazing as that for 120 minutes, where all of these guys are putting a hundred percent of the line where every single guy that stepped up to the penalty uh, spot was so confident, so full of, energy and wanted to win this I can't really blame Kepa too much and and it's not a blame it's more about that was the job you came on for and unfortunately it didn't go that way so um, Alex I'll get your thoughts kind of similar to you I'm I'm not asking you to put blame on him I'm more asking about your thoughts on on frustration surprising if that he didn't get to one of them like you said he's won as four or five this could have been the sixth one and unfortunately he didn't get to saving even one. Yeah, I think I think penalties are sort of always a gamble. And as much as you can claim as a goalkeeper to be a penalty specialist and maybe your stats are good, your research is good, you have your strategies in mind, the advantage is always with the player. There's, it's The goal is simply that large to aim at. If you hit a penalty correctly, you can hit it such that the goalkeeper has no chance. Um, and frankly, as, as I'm sure many were, I was surprised to see 21 players hit very good penalties. I think maybe two or three maximum were a little questionable and could have been saved. The rest of these players are, I mean, you're talking about not just attackers and attacking midfielders. You're talking about defensive players, defenders, even in in Liverpool's case, the goalkeeper putting very nice penalties uh, in the net, sending the keeper the wrong way or just hitting it so hard. uh, The goalie really had no chance. So I mean, it's, it's easy to be disappointed now, but that's where I would say if you go to penalties, you have to be okay with the idea that you're going to lose. And if you didn't want it to come down to that, you should have scored in regular time, which we had plenty of opportunities to do. We absolutely did. And ultimately it comes down to Kepa. Uh, Alex, you, you said Liverpool's goalie scores, makes it 10-11 on, on penalties. Kepa steps up, skies it, and that's where the game ends. Uh, I did have a question about the technique for Kepa to take the penalty. We know that's not why he was on there. 
unfortunately the luck ran out this time around but now it restarts hopefully and and he can go back on a run of, of saving four or five penalty shootouts and, and getting us maybe some of the bigger trophies um but jackie we we've taken liverpool on three times now this season uh tied all three games if you think about it in in um just normal time for getting penalties we haven't lost a game against them they sit second in the premier league table they one of the best attacking sides in Europe. We've conceded three goals in three games, scored three, coincidentally. Uh, your thoughts on, on the squad, but also Tuchel's tactics. In, in, in another day, we're winning this game three or four nil. So he knows how to play them. It's just getting that final ball into the net, right? Yeah, it's not only that he knows how to play them. I think this is the Chelsea squad that, us three have discussed here many times that we expect week in, week out. So while he does know how to play Liverpool, I think he plus the guys themselves know how to motivate themselves against the top quality side. And ultimately, I think this is the performance we would love to see week in, week out. Now, I'll tell you this, if we are expecting 100% performance this every week in, week out, this one was 150% because I saw guys giving everything. And Kai Havertz was a great example willing to fight the uh, knockoff Reese James on the back corner towards the hundredth minute or whatever, but it, it's what we want. It's what we want to see. And I think credit to Tuchel, but credits to these guys to raise their game, to give a performance like this. And I think that's, that's what makes this conversation so easy guys is when you lose, it's disappointing. We, we come back and it's, it's not so much to talk about. We've talked about so much in this game because our team gave us so much in this game to talk about barring like Rahul, you saying a couple of lucky moments or unlucky moments, however you want to call it could have gone a very different way. Absolutely. And, and Alex, I'll hand over the bantering to, to you from Jackie, who called uh, Liverpool's right back, the knockoff Reese James. Uh, your thoughts? I mean, we've, we tend to play the bigger teams a lot better than we do maybe some of the smaller ones. No disrespect to them. Uh, and we could still face Liverpool in another competition this season. But from what you've seen in the three games, on a different day, a different finish different goal scorer we we could have won all three games yeah i think that's sort of i mean on on the one hand disappointing yet on the other hand encouraging because i think the way this game played out liverpool had some great chances mendy was great our defense kept them out on several occasions but they liverpool on another day absolutely could have gotten a couple of goals chelsea on another day I mean, between the offsides, the no call uh, for the Kaita tackle, we didn't even mention Havertz scoring two offside goals, right? Um, and three more or less sitters, you could you might call them, missed in the earlier stages of the game. I, I think if you play this game out, I think the vast majority of the time Chelsea probably come away with it by a goal or two. Um, I think we were unlucky. I think we were the better side on the day. But that's how the game goes. If you don't put the ball in the net, it doesn't matter how many great chances you created. And Liverpool created several good chances as well. We were lucky to have a very, very top form goalkeeper uh, keeping them at bay. So I do think it shows we have the quality. It shows we have the desire. And in a weird way, I do. I, I have sort of come, come around to the thought that I think our players play style sometimes works almost better against bigger teams when they, they come out to play against us. And that gives us the space um, because they're not going to sit back. Now we can use the speed of Pulisic, his dribbling. We can use the fluid movement of Kai Havertz. Um, we can use the driving runs of Mason Mount um, as opposed to an opponent who parks eight, nine, 10 players in their own box. And then we're struggling to play it around and break them down. I think we were given a really entertaining classic of a match and that's what makes these games against big teams, against big teams, um, talented, talented players against talented players so exciting is that everyone comes out trying to shine and, and you see great games. So, you know what, putting aside the disappointment, I, I am glad we saw a really thrilling cup final and certainly the best nil-nil game I have probably ever seen. And, and I have to agree with both of you. I, I, I was disheartened at the end of it. You get up, you dust yourself off, you look at what we've achieved in terms of keeping Liverpool out for 120 minutes, taking them all the way through to 11 penalties for them to win it. On a different day, we could be winning it ourselves, but 
it will come. Tuchel's only been here about a year, and it will come. Give him time. Give him the players, and uh, more importantly, in the league, uh, we need to do it more consistently because that's where we'll close the gap. Uh, but before we wrap up on the Carabao Cup, there's three players that we haven't spoken about, and and I'll bring them up, and you guys can quickly give me your thoughts about them. Uh, because I don't want to brush over them, but I do want to move on from this uh, uh, cup final. So Mateo Kovacic is the first one. Next to Angola Conte, uh, not a lot of people look good, but Kovacic stood out in this game. Tiago Silva, we've said it over and over and over and over again, aging like a fine wine, and he does it again. And one player that surprised me personally was Marcus Alonso. I was doubtful that he could handle Mo Salah, but between him and Rudiger, they did phenomenally well. So, uh, Alex, I'll come to you, and then Jackie, these three players, and, and maybe anyone else that you want to uh, give a shout-out to. Yeah, I think all of these players stood out, and I think a lot of the Chelsea squad just, just showed really, really impressive fight. Um, Kovacic, we know his quality, and, and I, was very, I was very glad he was available for the game. I know we had some doubts after uh, our most recent performance where he went off, um, I believe, with a, a minor knock. I think his quality is just unbelievable. And it's, it's really tough that we are in such a, an age where goals and assists define how people see players. Um, normally, I mean, that's to be expected for forwards, but now we're seeing it with midfielders too, where if you don't, consistently score and assist you're you're not really considered as a world-class midfielder but Kovacic is the perfect example of a fantastically underrated player who is I would say no doubt world-class I think I think that's not a a crazy stretch based on his performances this season specifically I mean maybe he's had quieter periods but every time he's on the pitch his quality and dribbling and ball progression and just his interplay is so impressive. So Kovacic for me was, was standout at, at this point, it's almost routine, just another Tiago Silva masterclass. So for him, I'm almost not surprised. Kovacic was, was uh, more of a standout in my eyes, but that's probably just because I'm, I'm spoiled at this point by watching uh, one of the best center backs in the game um, at 37 years old. Uh, come in here and, and just boss it. And then for Alonso, as you mentioned, not everyone can pocket Mohamed Salah. And I was not expecting Marcus Alonso. In fact, I think I was pleading on the prior episode not to have Mohamed Salah running at Marcus Alonso. <laughs> and it happened. And Salah was very quiet. So no complaints there. Yeah, Jackie, your, your thoughts? Look, Alex did a good job talking about all three players, but I want to give a little credit to one guy and that's Kovacic. Honestly, I grew up watching Frank Lampard uh, like you guys did. And so my definition of a world-class midfielder is a goal-scoring midfielder. The perfect number eight and, you know, Kovacic comes. He does okay his first season. Uh, he puts in a good shift. He takes over the number eight. And it's very hard for me to swallow when somebody picks up the number eight and can model themselves after Frank Lampard. That's a tough shirt to carry, guys. And for me, that's usually what I see. But as Kovacic has progressed at Chelsea... He's become more silky. He's become smarter. He's the type of player that drives forward, which we miss a lot. And so I like to see him do that. He can pick a pass. But what I saw in this game is he was not afraid to do the dirty work. He was getting back. He was making tackles. He was shoving people out. And Liverpool's midfield three are a very strong bunch of guys. And Kovacic did not let any of them bully him. In fact, in this role, he's allowed Kante to play a little more forward. Kovacic took a little more of a backseat and no one got past him. He was not allowing any of those midfielders to get on a free run. And he definitely impressed me. And I think, like Alex said, he's almost one of those where we've seen lately, Jorginho has kind of taken a backseat and Jorginho was world player of the year or European player of the year last year. And it's not an easy thing to do displacing somebody like that. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for that. So. Absolutely. And, and long may it continue. I think he's only 27, maybe 28. So he's coming into uh, some of his best years uh, in terms of his career. But uh, I mean, that's that's the Carabao Cup. We lose it. We lose another final at Wembley, but hopefully we'll be back uh, there at the end of the season on May 14th and finally put things right uh, and, and get over these Wembley blues like we've been saying. 
but let's move on to a team that did win this weekend, which was the Chelsea women's team. And it's pretty rare the way we talk about them losing. Uh, so they beat Leicester City 7-0 in the FA Cup. I mean, Sam Kerr gets goals. Uh, Beth England gets a goal. Uh, Pernilla Arder gets a goal or two in this case. So uh, this is a machine, a well-oiled machine that keeps rolling. There is a, a, a little shout out to uh, Nguyen who scores her first goal, so congratulations to her. And, and Chelsea move on to the next round of the FA Women's Cup. Uh, and that was one of the better ways to prepare for a final against Man City this weekend uh, in the Conte Cup. So we'll build up to that later in the week, but did want to touch on uh, the women's results uh, in, in over the weekend. But guys, the football rolls on for the men, and they are back on Wednesday against Luton Town in the FA Cup. So, Alex, you want to give us maybe a predicted 11 or uh, maybe just a few players that you think will play and Jackie can maybe fill in the rest? Yeah, I think certainly uh, we might predict Kepa starting in, in, in this match, seeing as he's been sort of our consistent cup goalkeeper. Um, I, think, I think that also would be a nice way to sort of maybe get his mind off that penalty miss. Um, get him back between the sticks and, and give him a chance to shine because despite all the negative headlines around him, he still really has barely put a foot wrong actually goalkeeping. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate, that, uh, but a penalty shootout is anyone's game. He's been great as an actual keeper himself. Um, and then in terms of the center backs, we've always got some, some options. Um, I know Christensen is, is a frequent, uh, a frequent performer. And I believe he wasn't available sort of on late notice for this clash against Liverpool. Um, but he might be expected to play, uh, Tiago Silva may play as well. And then Malong Sar I'm seeing here as a shout. I think he's been, he's been impressive this season. He's had some moments where we've, where we've said, you know, he needs to do a little better, but he's still developing, um, and this might be a good match to sort of test his capabilities again. Um, at wingback, a Reese James fitness session would not be a bad idea. Uh, and I think Jorginho, who has not gotten into the squad, um, and Saul in midfield uh, might be a good way to, to just spread those minutes around because as we've seen, these competitions come thick and fast. And then at the other wingback, um, Hudson Adoy hasn't really gotten quite as much game time lately. We've seen Polisic playing on the wing a little more, which I think does eat into uh, Cho's minutes. Um, so he would be a good inclusion, in my opinion, on the left, and we've seen him add to the attack. And then in attack, this one's always always up for debate. I think given that he didn't start the, the, the game against Liverpool, Lukaku is always a good bet to, to start up top and maybe like almost like Kepa, but for a different reason, you let him start and say, get that, get that, get that offside goal out of your head, keep putting the ball in the net and get into some good form because we're going to need all the players we can have in good form as these competitions come. And then on the wing, I mean, I guess I, I could let you guys say what you think. I think in, in a weird way, I think maybe Timo Werner will feature seeing as he's been kind of relegated to a secondary role um, I think certainly Ziyech needs to to get some minutes to keep his form going because he did not feature against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean that's a strong lineup. My only concern there, and and Jackie, you can you can add to it too, is uh, does Thiago Silva play another game, especially since that he's played three since we've come back from the World Club Cup, played the 120 minutes. Uh, so maybe a switch to back four. But Jackie, what are your thoughts, and and would you change anything? Would you give Lukaku and Timo a run? Yeah, I think Alex has done a good job of a predicted 11. I think one name I'd like to toss in the hat if he's fit is Ruben Loftus cheek. I'd like to see him kind of add into that. Obviously, if Jorginho and Saul get the minutes, that's great, but find a way to get Ruben Loftus cheek into the mix as well. But uh, look, it's a strong lineup. We're playing Luton, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be surprising to see maybe a Lewis Hall or somebody uh, come into the squad as well. That would be a good shout to see him back and maybe give Thiago that rest that you're talking about, Raul. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up Lewis Hall too. So definitely good to be uh, good to see some youngsters involved too, given that most of the first team has been playing consistently. And we do have Burnley coming up away uh, on Saturday. So the games keep coming and, and uh, this one 
no disrespect, no disrespect to Luton Town, but may not maybe an opportunity for some of the other players to play. Uh, Alex, your score predictions? Uh, I think hopefully we'll be getting some goals because we went a long time without scoring against Liverpool. Um, I'd like to see us get three goals scored. I'm not sure. Um, honestly, I, I might revise my original prediction of three one because having seen how well we defended against Liverpool and obviously that's a relative term. We, we conceded some chances and had some great goalkeeping, but I think we could probably get a three nil win here um, because I, I just have faith that if we come off and, and play with a little bit of the passion we've seen lately, uh, we're going to get a, a convincing victory. Okay. Three nil Jackie. What's your prediction? Yeah, I too like to echo a 3-0 for Chelsea. I think we had enough firepower. We had a lot called offside. We had VAR decisions. Hopefully everything goes our way. Lukaku needs a goal. Timo Werner needs a goal. It's set up for a situation where we can build some confidence and get some other guys in there to get a goal and just feel better about themselves. Okay, I had actually gone for a 1-0, but listening to you guys, I have been convinced that we are going to get some goals here. So I'm going to one-up both of you and go 4-0. Uh, hopefully this comes true because we, we need some goals. We need some positive energy back into uh, the squad. Not that it's negative. Uh, as Tuchel said, he's told the guys not to lose, lose sleep over the final. Uh, and, and we definitely won't because we have bigger things to fight for. Uh, Liverpool can enjoy the Mickey Mouse Cup for now. Uh, but that wraps it up guys thank you very much for listening that's episode 99 in the books please please continue to subscribe like and follow us at the premier chels apple spotify uh, google youtube and instagram and on twitter it's at premier chels and as always send us your feedback send us your questions and we will be back with a new episode but until then stay safe and up the chels